Welcome to the podcast Beyond the Triangle. I'm Amy Beth Horman, and this is episode 10, entitled Competitions, Pros, and Cons. In this episode, I'm going to give you lots to think about regarding competitions. I will talk about whether competitions are right for you and your child, and how to make sure you get the best results or experiences from them. I'm devoting a whole episode to question whether or not competitions are something some of you should embark on, because I think this is a subject that deserves more thought from everyone. Often we jump in without much thought and with very high hopes. After this episode is done, you will have, hopefully, a lot of new information to chew on, and from there you can make the right decisions for your child and your family. As usual, I'm going to give you real talk from all the perspectives, student, teacher, adjudicator, and parent. This time, I think it's especially crucial for this episode, and I think having these multiple perspectives can really help other parents decide what might be best for their young artist. I will be sharing personal accounts as both a judge and a teacher to try and illustrate the nature of competitions. By doing this, I'm hoping this helps parents frame competitions in a healthier light so that if you so choose, you can include it in your child's training and get the most out of it. So let's get started. As young musicians enter more advanced literature, it is more likely that they will consider competitions as a part of rigorous training. Every private studio I know has a slightly different feel on this, and many will weigh various factors before advising a child to enter a competition. Let's start today's episode by taking a look at some of the things the teachers I spoke to will examine before making the suggestion of competitions to parents. Most teachers will ask themselves about the general motivation of the students so far without the presence of competitions. So is the child self-motivated in their practice and in the depth of their work? Does the child take initiative in their practice without prodding? Another thing that they'll look at is whether the child is a musician who loves performing already and has had considerable experience on stage. How has this motivated them to practice or led to them attaining goals in the studio? Another thing teachers had in common when I spoke to them was that they look at the family and how they're doing in the studio as a whole, what experience that they have so far with other competitive events like seating auditions or youth symphony auditions, even light adjudications like solo and ensemble festival. How has the child reacted to the results of these and what has the reaction been from the parents? In competitive studios, there's likely to be several children competing at the same level. So some teachers will look at the general temperament of your child to see how they relate to their peer group in the studio. Are they confident in their own unique gifts or are they making comparisons frequently with their peer group? This will predict how they might react to competition results. No teacher wants to see their student, who was thriving, become encumbered by the results of competitions, so they generally will tread very carefully. Here's a personal experience I have with this. 
When I was about 14 years old, I was waiting outside my teacher's studio for my lesson time. And as he opened the door, the child before me and their parent were talking to him about a competition they were planning on doing that weekend. As hard as this might be to believe, this was really the first time I had ever even contemplated competing. I was 14 and I had a lot of experience performing because I was the daughter of two professional musicians, but we had never thought of competing for any reason. Curious, I asked him, rather bluntly, why it was that I wasn't competing since it seemed my classmate was. He responded, would you like to be competing? And from there, I admitted that I wasn't sure whether I should or shouldn't, but just that it hit me as strange that we weren't even talking about it if others in his studio were competing regularly. Was I not good enough? He assured me that I was, but said that in his view, I was motivated enough in performing regularly, and he wasn't sure competitions would offer me much, given how political they could be at times. Sometimes they had a lot to offer, and sometimes all they offered was grief. He shared a bit of his own competition experiences on a larger scale, and said that if I thought I was interested in trying them out, I certainly could give it a go. In retrospect, without putting words in his mouth or making too many assumptions, I think I see my former self a bit clearer now. In his place, I would have made the same decisions regarding competitions when it came to younger me. I was very sensitive, a gifted young player, and one who had ample performance opportunities through two churches since my parents were both music directors. I think he was trying to protect me from the political shaky nature of competitions and results. I had ample faith in my abilities and a clear dream set and was working hard without anybody pushing me at home. Why rock the boat? As it turns out, I did choose to compete and I did very well. Most results I had were positive, and when they weren't, I rallied quickly with the help of my family, and I never lost stride in my studies. But some might not have had some of those helpful factors in place. You see, I always had a performance coming up to keep me on track with my work. And if I didn't, I could schedule a recital at one of my parents' churches at any time. But lots of kids are not that fortunate. And when you are competing for an opportunity and hungry to have stage time as a young artist, getting rejections in competition rounds or playing your best only to watch unfair results follow can be very disheartening. It takes a strong spirit to withstand the unsteady nature of competitions. Sure, there are some competitions that are more fair or run better than others, but one of the things I'm going to hope to get across to you today is that by nature... They are not fair, and a lot of that comes down to human nature. As a teacher, I'm unlikely to feel enthusiastic signing up for someone to compete if I feel they are not motivated on their own to practice or polish their pieces, but instead need a competition with an uncertain outcome to inspire them. I feel this way because competition results are so unpredictable, and if the thought of winning is the thing driving the kid to practice, we will lose that motivator right after the competition more times than not.
When these kids don't get the desired results from competition, they're actually hit harder because they had all their motivational eggs in that basket. Whereas a child who simply loves performing and wants to share their gifts while allowing for comments and constructive criticism will bounce back more quickly if the results don't happen to swing their way. I also personally have had many parents think that a competition will be the driving force that changes how their kid is motivated to practice, but I feel this is a temporary fix at best. I actually find it to be an insidious mistake for some that's made with young artists, when really we should be addressing the lack of inspiration in a broader way by taking them to live performances or increasing listening at home, pursuing multiple videos on YouTube to inspire them, or just adjusting their mindset. Sometimes giving them more steering and control in their studies as a whole can make a big difference with motivation. So whether you have come to your teacher or the teacher has come to you, let's assume this initial assessment is done and we've decided to add competitions to the child's training. There can be a multitude of reasons why we think this is a good idea. I'm going to take some time now to go over just some of the reasons why parents or teachers or even students are eager to introduce competitions in their life. Some I see as valid, and some not so much. So I hope that this opens up some conversations for all of you. Many people believe that doing competitions is a wonderful way to build your resume. Building resumes these days is happening more and more with parents as they prepare applications for not just college or conservatory, but also private schools or music festivals. Certainly, when a parent approaches me to consider their child as a new student, I often receive a list of prizes they have attained in competition prior to our trial lesson. While this can be impressive to me at first glance to see how active they have been already in the competition circuit, it can also raise concerns in my head. What I'm really looking for is in their playing and their ability to receive instruction from me. I'm hoping that we're a good fit. And given that music festivals are basing their acceptance on video submissions these days, with auditions happening in large part electronically, I believe their playing remains the bottom line. I consider competition results to be more like supporting evidence, and I also see it as an indicator that they have experience on stage. If you are not competing yet or are choosing not to, I consider evidence of live performance also quite compelling. I personally garnished full scholarships as a student with no mention of a competition when I was 14. When you are looking at conservatories or higher institutions of learning, as valuable as it might seem to have competition results on your resumes, the larger institutions have become well-versed at which competitions are truly valuable. If regional competitions is as far as you get on your list, they will be relying on your playing more than anything. It is my opinion that unless you have nationally ranked competitions listed along with prizes locally, you won't gain much by competitions being on your resume at all. When we are looking at the resume of a young artist, we are looking for the progression of their work. So for competitions to be useful on a resume, 
I would need to see regional wins along with national results and maybe even some evidence of a teenager being ranked internationally. If you research the current students being accepted into Juilliard or Curtis or any leading conservatory of your choice, you will find that they have this progression of results very evident in their biographies. If not, their playing is doing the work for them. I have personally had plenty of students of mine with very few competition results on their resumes be accepted into major conservatories in leading studios. Maybe they didn't compete very much, or maybe they didn't fare as well as their peers, but their preliminary auditions and their live auditions did the work for them. I have also had many students be accepted into Ivy Leagues with little or no competition results to speak of. They in large part submitted auditions as part of their initial applications and were extremely strategic in their choice of literature, comfortable in their abilities and their voice on their instrument. Music was clearly a large part of who they were and it showed in their playing. They were also able to back this up in the fact that they were active in school orchestras or youth orchestras and had local performances. Some parents think that the presence of competitions on their current resume will help enlarge the resume. I can't tell you how many times I've judged a competition and a kid's resume almost precedes them because as a longtime regional judge, you see the same kids over and over again and become entirely familiar with their placement in competitions that year or the year prior. Sometimes you're just asked to list them on the application forms themselves. There is no way to avoid this familiarity with certain competitors as a judge. Auditions would have to be behind screens to avoid it. But for solo competitions, this can't be the case. A good judge will tell you that so many times with these children, they may not deliver the winning performance of the day, and instead, it might be received by a child who has very little history competing so far. Because again, the bottom line is they're playing. There is no jury that I have ever been part of that awards prizes favoring prior winners. If anything, it might work against you if you have a judge who sets their expectations very high, knowing you've won the last three concerto competitions in the area. The point I'm trying to make here is No matter how large your competition resume may look, you will always have to back it up with your live playing. Another reason I experience teachers and parents wanting their children to compete is to gain experience on stage in auditions. I think this is a great reason, and it is one that resonates with me as a professional musician very much. The fact is, you will have many, many auditions in your life as a working musician, The process of auditioning and everything that goes into it will have to become almost second nature to you so that you can represent your talent and hard work. Practice does make progress in this case. So the more times you go on stage and appear before a live panel of judges, the less daunting it will seem to you. Another good reason to compete might be that you're looking for a concert opportunity which exists through the competition. Sometimes we will use smaller competitions to prepare for larger ones, too. Time on stage puts the body through necessary hurdles to prepare it for adrenaline and train it to perform complex pieces at a high level. 
The more times you perform something, the easier it gets to wrangle on stage. I tell all of my parents they need several times on a large concerto on stage before they can depend on it being theirs, so to speak. So if we lack a performance opportunity, but there is a competition available, we might sign up just to get in that stage time with no expectation of a positive result. When Ava was performing with orchestra last summer, I signed her up for a local concerto competition in town a few weeks before leaving for her concerts. I did this to give her the extra stage time, knowing that it would allow her to get slightly more comfortable for when she played with orchestra later in the month. I would have signed up for another performance opportunity at the conservatory, but they were closed for the year at this point, so I had to get creative. Ava didn't place in this competition, even though she ended up playing well enough that day that it wouldn't have surprised us. But she went in knowing what our goal was, an adrenaline-fueled run-through in front of judges. To me, it's a bit of a pressure cooker for progress. And it worked. One thing that really motivates parents and students to try and compete is prize money attached to a competition. Certainly, as the competitions get larger, you will see more interesting prizes. We are now seeing six figures in the world's top violin competitions being offered for top prize. But most local or national competitions offer fairly low cash amounts as prizes. Even if you get into the four-figure amounts, I urge parents to always consider how hard it is to prize at all and the total cost of what they have incurred preparing for the competition, including extra lessons and rehearsals, violin adjustments, sometimes plane tickets or transportation, parking, days off work for parents, you get the drift. You're basically lucky if you come out even. I know kids are thrilled to win $500 at a competition, but it doesn't really make a dent when you look at the cost of instruction these days. While every little bit helps, it also helps to be realistic about the bottom line. Teachers that I spoke to often encourage a competition to set pedagogical or technical goals. This might be playing pieces from different periods or preparing a small program, even learning a full concerto. At certain ages, I think this is a great reason to try a competition. For most kids, this type of goal isn't within their natural range of motivation. But with a goal in mind, their motivation will stretch. Ava did this last year and it was very beneficial to her and she progressed very much inside the process. I think finding that motivational stretch in a goal can be very effective. Again, this works in my view for kids who are already self-motivated, but their natural drive just might not stretch as far as that goal would need them to. So it offers them a gentle push and in turn heightens their progress. Okay, here's a big one. Lots of students are incredibly motivated to compete when there is a special performance opportunity like playing with orchestra. In one of my prior episodes, I mentioned that I believe in different planes of learning and education for a young artist. I personally believe performing with orchestra is one of them. There are certain aspects of our playing that really don't get touched on until you're playing the full score as a soloist with an orchestra behind you. It is always harder than it appears, and it always makes the students stronger. But it isn't like we can rent an orchestra for our kids. 
So those opportunities are fought for in competition, and they're few and far between. If you or your child has your sights set on things like the menu in competition or the Indianapolis competition or any of these larger international competitions, you know that the last rounds are with orchestra. But what you don't want is for your child to be encountering that challenge for the first time when they get there. So this is why I advise students to consider concerto competitions, which are local with community orchestras. And then if they find success there, to adventure out and to try national competitions as well. The fact is, the more times you play your concerto with orchestra, the better it gets. If by this point you're still on the fence about competing and the prizes don't really hold your attention, here are some other benefits you might want to consider that I talk about as a teacher of a competitive studio. If the rounds are live, it can be very beneficial for young artists to hear others performing and competing. It really dispels the myth that everyone plays perfectly and it helps a young person become more comfortable with what they have to present. Often when a student of mine doesn't make the finals, I suggest they attend anyhow, and this is sometimes hard emotionally for them. But I know as their instructor how close they are to getting in, so in the end, they might feel heartened by listening to others because they will understand that they are actually at the right level to be chosen, and they just need to stick with it. This goes back to what I said earlier about results just not always being fair and more up to human nature. My first example of this is just to tell you that some violinists I know would rather pull out their fingernails than hear the Mendelssohn played classically in style. They prefer it to be more on the romantic side. Well, I'm the opposite. While I hear the fire and drama in the Mendelssohn, I prefer it to be played a little lighter. So it is hard to ignore this preference in judging. We try and put our personal preferences aside, but if there is another concerto presented just as well, I might be pulled toward it as a judge rather than pick the Mendelssohn that hit me the wrong way, even if it was played really well. Sometimes I have even had to recuse myself, but that also steers the scoring a bit, so it isn't exactly a solution. When a student has suffered by receiving a negative result that really had nothing to do with them, Attending the live finals can mean a lot to their heart. It tells them that actually they're on the right track and that this just wasn't their day. Another really valuable reason to compete is to receive critical feedback. Any teacher who says they know everything you need to know about a concerto is really asking for trouble, in my opinion. I come from the school of thought that one pair of ears, or even three, is never enough. You want your child to be exposed to many different views on how to perform a piece. This will help them find their voice quicker. I scheduled several masterclasses a year for my studio to achieve this, and it isn't that I thought the masters knew more than I did. I just believed that they would open our ears and give us new ideas or ways to approach, and they always did. I left masterclasses for my own studio feeling educated and inspired in my own work. It was like having a team of violinists working together to help the kids find their way. Judges can be just like this. Competitions, reputable ones, of course, can offer you this feedback. 
Or sometimes you might get constructive criticism which mirrors what you are hearing already in lessons, and that can be valuable too. Not because you are being given new information, but you leave feeling encouraged that you're actually on the right track. Knowing that you're on track can make the difference between having a week where you feel cloudy about what you're doing or having the next week after competition feeling really invigorated for new work. I get asked a lot by parents after negative outcomes in competitions if they're on track. Most times they are. It's just that the competitions themselves are never perfect. One last reason to compete, which I like to talk about with my students, is the significance of just showing up and performing. For us as a family, we feel it's important to show up sometimes in competition just to be heard. Ava is young compared to the other competitors at this point in concerto competitions, so we work to keep our expectations in check. But when she plays well, sometimes even without a prize, she is still offered an opportunity because the jury recognized her potential and current ability to perform. If you don't put yourself out there, it will be hard to garnish opportunities to perform. And I think it is important for parents to realize that sometimes students who don't officially win are given the desired opportunities anyway. This is in fact how Ava performed performed first as a soloist with orchestra. She was a finalist against very virtuosic teenagers, but she bravely played her heart out that day and then found herself soloing with the orchestra at a children's concert a few months later. They chose her because they thought the school-aged children would relate to her and be inspired by her dedication. If we had not competed for fear that she couldn't possibly compare with 16-year-olds, we would have missed this opportunity. We try very hard to keep a healthy dialogue with Ava about why we choose to compete sometimes. And usually what I say to her is that we found another time that we can meet and share her music with a conductor. This is not about winning, but more about introducing herself to someone new. So that if they think about programming a child in a concert for any reason, maybe they'll remember her. Okay, so it seems there are a lot of reasons that you might choose to compete. But before we leap in, I also want to take a bit to talk about why I know that competitions are not always fair. I think it's important to talk about this very bluntly with parents. I think this way because sometimes a poor result for competitions and auditions will signal a parent that something is amiss in their training, or even that the potential of their young artist is in question. But this is simply not the case nine times out of ten. Competitions are incredibly political most of the time. And there's room for error. Sometimes you don't even need to look far to see it because there are judges on the jury who have multiple students competing. Even when they recuse themselves, how are they scoring the other students that are there? Are we expected to just hope for the best in these cases? Am I saying that all judges are corrupt? Not at all. But just like in every other walk of life, Some people are not ethically sound. I have experienced this both as a former student competitor and also as a teacher. 
I personally won't judge competitions if my students are competing. And so regionally, I didn't judge for many years. I was asked repeatedly by organizations saying I could recuse myself and that they were sure I could be fair. I appreciate their vote of confidence, but I'm not so sure I could be. This doesn't mean I lack the ability to judge. I just know that if I'm asked to score a student of mine, it isn't fair because I know what they are already capable of. I might know that they usually nail that difficult passage, so when they don't, I feel kind of sorry for them, but I know that they might have nailed it on a different day. Or maybe I have feelings of attachment to certain things they do well because they had to work so hard to get that right. This doesn't help me judge them fairly against other students that I have no history with. I've given up a lot of income in this way in order for things to remain fair. Other teachers insist that they can remain impartial. But for the record, because I promised you real talk, I raise my eyebrows at them. I know that they are just human like the rest of us. It is already difficult to judge a piece being played entirely differently than you would choose to or at a vastly different tempo. And we do that all the time. Students would have to break into the jury's iTunes accounts to have an idea of the version their judges prefer to avoid this. If someone prefers Heifetz, They won't much like a looser Josh Bell version, as beautiful as it might be. With solo artists and leading international teachers on juries for good reason, you can bet that they have a very established interpretation on each of the major concerti, and that they also feel really strongly about it and have reasons to back it up. There is really no way to know these things in advance, so you simply have to make your best presentation of how you hear the piece, and hope for the best. Sometimes the deck will be stacked against you before you even arrive, and sometimes it will be the opposite. Here are a few competition stories I have as a former judge to clearly illustrate what you're up against and why poor results might mean nothing for your kid or their training that they're receiving. I'm not naming competitions or organizations because I know better than to do that but I want to share these stories with you because I think that it makes it very clear. A long time ago, I was part of a jury for a very large arts organization. And because of the prizes they were offering, there were dozens of kids that were heard in one day. We had judging sheets and each child was given a number so that we would have no way of associating them with a teacher or with prior results. Sounds good so far, right? We had a total of 100 points we could give anyone with specific categories to score, like interpretation, beauty of sound, score, presentation. It is difficult to remember kids as you get through dozens of them. And keep in mind, it's really hard to know what a perfect score should sound like. Maybe you hear what you think is a 10 and are happy to give it in a category, but then two hours later, Another kid plays and schools you as to what a 10 actually should sound like. This is a very common thing to happen to a jury member, but there's likely not time to go back and change the other child's score. And you have to hope that you noted what the applicant's number was so that you can find them again. It becomes very tricky, 
and the pace of competitions is very fast, so we get through many auditions in one day. At this particular competition, I heard one child play the Paganini Concerto No. 1, which is arguably one of the harder concertos for a violinist to play. By sight, I had no memory of ever having judged her before, and her mother was accompanying her. Sometimes I can tell by the accompanist who might be the teacher, but in this case, I could not. With no prior knowledge of her, I sat back and listened to her. She was simply terrific in every way, and it looked fluid and easy for her. She was charming and natural, and I was floored. It is rare to see a high schooler achieve this, and she knew it. I doubted anyone could come close to this, so I scored her a hundred out of a hundred. I don't think I have ever given a score like that since. We worked our way through the day and handed all of our scores in to be tallied. By the end of the day, it was running late, and I actually had a flight to catch. But the head of the competition took our scores, tallying them, and returned to announce who had won each prize so that we would all know. He went through the winners, and I didn't hear the number of the girl that I gave 100 out of 100 to. I was flummoxed. So I raised my hand and I said I wanted to know the full score of this particular competitor because I was shocked she didn't place, and I thought there might have been a mistake. I got all sorts of looks of surprise from the other judges. Some even looked a little annoyed at me. But this girl was so fantastic, I just persisted. So he tallied her score specifically and then came back kind of sheepish and told us he was missing an entire sheet, so she lacked a possible total additional 100 points. No wonder she didn't place. Everyone shuffled their feet and he identified one judge as having not turned in her score sheet. That judge then looked flustered and admitted he couldn't remember her because she was from the beginning of the day and we had seen so many. He then proceeded to ask me to to describe her appearance and what she had played, trying to remember anything about her performance. He did his best, but he recalled nothing. Then, in a surprising move, He suggested that his score be the same as mine, since I was a violinist he trusted, and I seemed to be so taken with her. Well, that doesn't sound quite right, does it? But there we were. So, they retallied with his perfect score alongside mine, and we all sat uncomfortably. Then he came back and said she had won second place. I was pretty upset by now because this isn't the way things should go. I looked up and I said, in an effort to be transparent, I want a full audit of the top two scores. The person they had ranked first had not impressed me as much and had struggled a bit, whereas this girl had played seamlessly. Quickly, tensions arose. It was revealed that two other violinists on the jury had scored the other player higher, which is why she won first place. So with the clock ticking and a flight waiting, I asked them, why did you do this? They both turned to me and said that the girl who placed first appeared to have been playing a harder piece. 
I asked them why they thought this, and they couldn't respond. So at this point, pressed for time, I lost my temper a bit. I asked them if there could be a show of hands as to who had ever played these concertos with orchestra. I raised my hand, and I was alone. So then I asked if I could be given credit for knowing the works then better than the other members of the jury. I declared the Paganini as harder than Vignaski number two, and told them that if they didn't award accordingly, I would never judge again. This is a bit unlike me in a jury, for what it's worth. But I was pretty mad for her. When I got resistance from them, I reminded them that they were docking points for a girl playing in a way that made them feel it was easier, and that this was an atrocious message to send her. I was so mad I almost missed my flight. In the end, they only agreed to tie them, and that was the best that they could do. I stayed way past when I was paid to, almost missed a flight somewhere, and was bothered all evening by it. But would other judges do the same for your kid? See how she did nothing wrong and everything right, played better than everyone there, and almost received nothing. Then, even when I fought tooth and nail for her, she still didn't get what she deserved. What message would this have sent her if she had received nothing? She knew she nailed it. What message would it have sent to her parents about her training? Okay, one more story. I have many stories, of course, but these two stories, I think, do a really good job of helping parents understand why some competitions can go awry. This was also a major competition for our area, but this time it was a concerto competition to perform with orchestra. We were all listening to very talented young artists of any instrument, so some of us were depending on other members of the jury to help us score for technique. This is tough, but in essence, if I love the performance of a trumpet player, I will look to the trumpeter on the jury to affirm his technique for me. I only have my own musicianship and knowledge of the period to offer in these cases. So there was a lot of shuffling going on as we all relied on one another. There was also one conductor on the jury, and they were concerned with things like projection, tempo, knowledge of score, or clarity of the interpretation. In trying to decide the winner, as talented as they all were, we ended up in a bit of an impasse. Turns out neither of the top two contenders were violinists, so I was a bit hobbled already in my view. But both seemed to have been given the thumbs up by their instrument's representatives, so to speak, on the jury, so it was down to those two. I voted for one to win over the other because her comportment on stage, I thought, was higher. She walked out confidently and presented herself beautifully to the judges, speaking clearly and bowing with the pianist at the end. She even smiled at us and thanked us. The other competitor did none of this and forgot to bow entirely, never meeting us in the eye. He actually made me a little nervous. To me, this seemed clear-cut, but one of the other judges engaged in a 45-minute argument with me about how concerts are about what we hear and not what we see, and then about how sick he was about how appearance and brochures with fancy dresses get the gig. I don't know what was going on exactly, to be honest, with this guy, but it seemed personally not about me, maybe more about him. I don't know. More importantly, it didn't seem about the competitors. In the end, we tied them. Fair? No, not in my opinion. 
but it was the best compromise we could make in the time we were given. If I had been the parents of the girl who was so beautifully presenting herself while playing magnificently, I would be wondering where she went wrong in her performance to not score higher than the other player. My point is, there are many dynamics at play in jury rooms that you will never hear about. Things are rarely fair the way you would like them to be. We simply do our best with the other judges we're paired with on juries that day. And sometimes it's not easy at all. So you can't take results to heart knowing these things. It isn't fair to your teacher or your child to do so, and it can be really damaging to your kid's progress. As a former competitor, I had really great educational experiences in competition, and I also had a lot of success. But I also received results that made no sense to me at all. Like, I've won first prize on my worst performance ever and almost left in tears before they awarded me, thinking I was getting nothing. That car ride was certainly interesting going home. I didn't know whether to cheer for myself or cry my eyes out for the performance I'd hoped I would have. I've also lost on my best performance, standing confidently thinking I would prize and watching that award go to someone I knew played less proficiently than I did. And in that car ride home, I tried to be happy and celebrate since I had met my dream performance. But secretly, I was still bewildered as to why I didn't result in a competition prize. After a while, I think kids need to learn to compete with themselves to be shooting for their best version of a piece. With each event, I advise my students to try and outdo their last stage experience. This can be past the notes and enter into how they relate to the audience or judges or how much they felt the presence of a full score while playing. There's always something to improve on. And if we compete with ourselves, we will be tracking progress in a whole new way, which is much healthier. Simply put, There need to be separate ways to measure success outside of those prizes because the prizes will come and go and will definitely not always be linked to your winning performances or personal bests on stage. I was fortunate to get to play with orchestra fairly early on on larger works, and I had the support of conductors and orchestras in my solo career, but I've also experienced the unfairness of it all And luckily, I loved violin enough that it didn't get me down. And I had parents that could shake off questionable results and help me see the bigger picture. Without some of these things well in place, competitions could have been really destructive to my career and my progress as a young musician. It's good to know the risks associated with competitions, whether it be financial, just in the costs of preparing them, or emotionally, for when things don't go your way. Sometimes you will find a student on a piece for almost a year competing, and this eats up their time to learn new repertoire and progress technically. I advise my students that they should only compete if it lines up with what they already have prepared so that it doesn't drag us off course. I see Ava's teacher doing the same. If we plan ahead, we can see competitions well enough in advance to start preparing things early, But often, 
you might have a competition that has a requirement that necessitates you moving backwards, reviewing something you wouldn't otherwise. I would tread carefully here. It is okay to do this every so often, and review is a very powerful thing for progress, but if you are hanging on pieces for upwards of a year and finding yourself reaching back in review to satisfy repertoire requirements so much that you can't find your footing in new literature, you've lost your way, in my opinion. There is a healthy balance to strike with this, and my best suggestion is to ask your teacher for help before the school or conservatory year starts. Spend some lesson time planning, more than you might think, and talk about goals and how competitions might play a part in your child's education this year. With an open dialogue, you can find yourself in a healthy position to explore competing and come out with valuable experiences along with some positive results. My last word on whether or not you should compete has to do with your personal definition of success. When students or parents are looking to compete, I think it's healthy to have an honest dialogue about the students and their definition of success as it pertains to competitions or auditions. Success to them might be prizes only, and this is something that's easy to talk through. Some parents I've met only consider first prize to be success, and that's a really destructive path to take with a young artist. If they knew the ins and outs of competition, they might reconsider their thoughts. The difference between first and second prize is sometimes not even something we can calculate, as I illustrated before. Some parents will say that they're doing competitions for the experience only, but this isn't what they actually believe, and the kids know it. Your young artist is more intuitive than you think, and they can read you very easily. Parents need to do some hard work on themselves sometimes to reframe their definition of success, knowing that the competitions are inherently not fair. You need to do that so that your child can participate and grow from it. Whatever the results, I suggest there's always room in a schedule to celebrate or engage in conversation about what we've gained from each competitive event. At my house, we celebrate wonderful performances, prize or no prize, and we celebrate effort the same way. It is incredibly brave of young people to carry their hearts on their sleeves and perform for juries on stage. Most parents have not had the occasion to do anything similar to this, but it can be both incredibly rewarding and also, frankly, terrifying. Make sure you are primed and ready to convey your respect for them taking this leap of faith with their music. That alone will further bond you with your child and set them up for more success in the future. Stay tuned for our next episode, which is the follow-up to this one entitled, Competitions, Preparing for Your Success. This one will focus entirely on how to prepare for competitions for your best result. This is an episode a number of you have requested that I write, so please tune in. Having watched kids compete successfully for years, I have a lot to share on this, from piece selection, preparation, to competition comportment, I've had students ranking and prizing in regional, national, and international competitions for years now, and there is a surprising amount of strategy and thought that goes into this very exciting process. 
So if you are thinking of competing this year, this episode was written for you. By sharing it with you here, I hope that you can have your best competition year yet. Don't miss a beat. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes and Podbean. If you have a question or a topic you would like to discuss on Beyond the Triangle, my ears are wide open. Write me at beyondthetrianglepodcast at gmail.com and let's connect.